Welcome to the Data Bites podcast by Women in Data, where we give you your weekly bite-sized dose of career development advice, industry case studies, and career stories to help you excel in your data career. Today, I'm chatting with Jolie Vital, who leads the data department at Carhartt. Jolie has been working in leadership positions for the past 10 years and previously worked at Rocket Mortgage. In this episode, Jolie shares how to enable a data-driven culture, the leadership traits one must embody to enable that change, and how we all have the opportunity to lead through empathy, authenticity, and listening. This episode is like a masterclass in leadership, and I know you'll get tons of nuggets of insights from it. Enjoy. Hi, Jolie. Welcome to the Data Bytes podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. Thanks for having me. You recently, I believe, just came back from a trip. So how are things, was this the first trip post-COVID or how are how's it getting back into, I guess, the real world? <laughs> yeah, it is not the first trip post-COVID. Uh, it's the first international trip that I've done post-COVID. So uh, we had a lot of travel that was sort of pent up and a lot of credits to use. So we went to Alaska at the end of May. Uh, my husband and I, and then my daughter and I went to Paris in June, and it was fantastic. I love it. You're the second person I met who's done this summer a mother-daughter Paris trip, so I, maybe it's a sign out there. This is the summer to take your daughter to Paris and have a mother-daughter Paris trip. It sounds fantastic. Yes, if you have a daughter, you should go. <laughs> I highly recommend it. <laughs> So I want to dive into your transition into being a leader in data analytics because you did not start off in a technical background. And I think for a lot of people who are in a non-technical background, there's like this fear of like, can I make it one, just break into the industry in the field, but let alone like, hey, can I be a leader in this industry? And you are living proof that you can do this and it may even be your superpower as well. So can you talk a little bit more about how you started in marketing and then transitioned into the position you are today? Yeah, I would say that throughout college, I could definitely see that I had an itch for both the creative side. Originally, I was an art and design major and then I moved towards marketing. Uh, but also the analytical side. I really liked accounting and I was like, maybe I should be an accountant. So I have this sort of natural right brain, left brain thing. So after college, I was able to get an internship at Quicken Loans. Uh, now it's Rocket Mortgage in their marketing department. And that spun into a full-time hire and I was running a few of the programs. And one of the programs that I ran had monthly reporting packages. So I worked with our metrics team. They would provide those. And they would come about two weeks after the month was done. And then there'd be some errors. And the number of things that I thought that I had put into the market were not the number it said. So my conversion rate was off. And so we'd, then we spend about two more weeks going through these errors. So now we're one month behind and we're moving into the next month. And so I found that I was uh, frustrated with what should have been sort of some simple reporting back. And at the same time, I was helping our email program. And at that time, uh, there were some per, uh, platforms and applications, especially in the Salesforce space, that were getting really into lifecycle marketing and segmentation. And what really excited me was what data could do above and beyond this monthly report that I was getting and how you could make it more predictive and you could make it a little bit more automated and that you could marry this creative business process 
uh, with uh, something that is, you know, a little numerical and kind of geeky. And so I had an opportunity a few years into my career to move over into the analytics team. And so I decided to make that move. And it was uh, sort of, I guess, uh, spur of the moment. I didn't really think too much about whether or not I would be able to do that or I'd be successful at it. Um, I guess I have a little bit of a faith that I will in most things that I do. Uh, and so I moved over there and I learned a ton. I mean, I knew very little, especially, you know, compared to the people who I worked with and I learned from them. Uh, I found opportunities to improve things. And then shortly after that, uh, we decided to build out our web analytics uh, team. And so it was a team of one at first, it was me. Um, and I really uh, started that journey by replatforming. So we were on Chrometrics and we moved to Adobe Analytics and I learned everything about web analytics just through leading this replatform. Team of one with Adobe. We had one domain at the time, so we got that domain up and running. And in explaining to our uh, business how to look at this new tool and what metrics were going away and why we weren't going to carry those forward because it didn't really matter and which ones we were and how to look at them differently, that is how I learned. So uh, after that, we grew a lot. The digital business uh, is super critical to the company that I was at. And so uh, we tagged more domains and that's when my team grew. So that's really when I became a leader. Um, luckily, I had great leadership who sort of let me have latitude to build out this team. And so it was sort of a natural transition for me. Uh, and so at that time we were leading not just the web analytics, but also the AB testing and the UX tools. And that was very exciting because now we had kind of control over that experimentation and putting our recommendations into practice and then being able to say it worked or it didn't work and we should double down in this area or, Hey, that thing that you would have gone and you would have done if we weren't testing would have failed tremendously and it would have, you know, not been the right move. So, uh, that was a really great time, uh, kind of a first foray, foray into analytics. So your story is something that I hear often through asking people how they transition, whereas they were working and they got frustrated with either a report not being the way they wanted or in data governance being like, why is this so hard to always have the right categories and, and classification? Or for me, as personally data engineering, I was like, why is it so hard to get access to data? And that led them to dive into that area. And I think it's such a great example of like, just why experience, whatever it is, right? Like you weren't in an analytics role per se. And for those who are listening, I'm doing air quotes right now. Um, but that experience led to that pivot point in the transition. And then I love that the it led to another pivot point in the transition of, hey, I'm leading this new Adobe integration. A team of one, who would have thought would lead you to be able to lead teams today, um, just by what it sounds like, somebody who was really curious, you raised your hand and were always willing to like dive in and solve problems. Is that something you find yourself still doing a lot today is just being somebody who's really curious and raises their hand to dive in and solve problems and organize people behind a mission? Absolutely. And probably to my detriment, um, I uh, would say that, you know, it actually like kind of hurts to let a problem just remain um, sometimes. And so I would say you have to be, you know, kind of selective, um, obviously what you decide to do. And that's a lesson that I've been learning, um, you know, for most of my career. But absolutely, I would say that I see things and I want to fix them and I want to dig in and make them what they could be. So for those people who are looking to move from a non-technical background into a technical career, what advice do you have for them? 
I would say if you are uh, currently, you know, in a career that's not technical and you're looking to move over, I would say the first thing is that there's probably always going to be someone more technical than you. And so one of the things that I see is that people will try to uh, build that muscle up so much that they sort of aren't working the muscle that they have, or they feel like they're lacking in an area. And so one, know that the muscle that you were building in the business capacity that you were in, whether that was two years or 15 years that you were doing something different is its own strength. There are tons of people who are super technical, who aren't always as successful as they could be because they lacked that business side. And so it's really about finding that balance um, and it's really a trade-off. One person can only be good at so much, right? So don't sacrifice what you were good at trying to be good at something where you still have a lot to learn. It, you'll get there eventually. Um, and so the other thing, I guess, that I would say to that end is when it is time to learn, you obviously can't go an entire career without you know, learning anything. Uh, there's so many free resources out there. I mean, yes, I've known people who have gone back to school or who have done you know, official programs and that can be better for them. But Google, Twitter, um, communities like Women in Data, those are all great places to be able to go and find you know, free resources that you can do in your spare time. And once you've sort of gotten those resources, uh, there's usually no shortage of opportunities, especially in the data space, to be able to find like side projects, like pet projects. You can find free data sets. You can find things where, you know, people are taking one data set and doing a ton of visualization. So no matter what you're passionate about, you can usually put that to the test in a way that, you know, maybe you produce something for your resume uh, to show. And, you know, it was just, you know, something you were playing around with, or maybe it actually, you know, creates like a side thing project and you build relationships with other people who are um, analyzing public data. So one of the things we see today is not only are there not as many women in technical roles and part of the reason why women in data exists, but even less so in terms of leadership positions. And there was a recent report from Deloitte that came out, um, a 2022 report of women at work. And it talks and narrows in a lot about women's pathways into leadership and some of the barriers um, that they're facing. And one of the big insights from the report was just in regards to how women didn't feel like there were pathways for them. So if you're in a position today where you know you wanna move into a leadership position, and you don't feel like that pathway is there, how do you create that pathway if it isn't clear how it exists today? I would say the first thing, if that is where you know you want to go, would be to have a conversation with your manager about it. Uh, if you, It's interesting kind of bringing up the, the uh, Deloitte study. If you're in a male-predominated IT organization, which a lot of them are, uh, it, you know, it's helpful to find a female manager at some point just to kind of talk to, but whoever your manager is is who you should start to have that conversation with. And uh, I think that you can talk about what they're looking for in leadership um, and really how you can, you know, grow towards that. And so uh, for anybody who's looking to get into leadership, I guess, whether it's uh, no matter what your gender is or no matter what your role is or if you're in IT or if you're not, I think that leadership begins before you have the title. It, you're, it's something that you're doing well before you know that opportunity comes up and the role vacates that you're looking for and you go to put in your application. It really begins with what you're doing every day. And so it's how do you solve problems? How do you take ownership over problems that may not be yours to solve? That's a huge part of leadership. Um, how do you uh, tell, ask your manager for feedback? Do you have a growth mindset? Are you asking peers for feedback and are you acting on that? 
Um, and, you know, how are you uh, empathizing with what it, leadership takes and looking for ways to be able to take a little bit of that empowerment on um, and make things a little bit better, you know, for your team and for your manager? So today you are leading the data department at Carhartt, and one of the top traits as any data leader is to be an agent of change. And a lot of times in this space, we talk about creating a data culture. So in your mind as a change agent and leading a data organization, like what does a perfect data culture look like? Like what is that vision of a data culture that you are working towards as a leader? Perfect data culture. That is an excellent question. So I would say that when I think of data culture, I really look at the decision-making framework for the organization. So uh, to set data aside for a minute, how are you making decisions? Are you making decisions based on guts and based on, you know, I think that this is right because I've been doing it for this long? Or are you taking in the information around you? And data is just one piece of information around you. There's plenty of other. And I think that sometimes, you know, people who are in data are heavy on the quant side. It's really both. Qualitative and quantitative are both important to that. But certainly in a world where you have the data, um, especially if your company was in a place like maybe 10 years ago where they didn't have the data. So you they've developed the acumen in a time frame where most companies were shifting, but, but it just wasn't there. It was being built up. It, moving towards um, not making decisions without it, it can be a challenge, right? Because for many years, people didn't have it. So they were just, you know, sort of doing their best. And so I would say, number one, that would be, you know, ideal is that you have the data and you're using it. And then I would say, uh, you know, secondarily, there at the operational level, there would be a lot less uh, creating of reports and a lot more reading the metrics that matter. So uh, there's a, a level of, you know, why am I getting this information? Why am I sending it out every day uh, versus what was it intended for and how do I use it to, you know, make recommendations and try change? So in terms of we have this perfect world of a data culture where you have the data, you can access it, you're doing less of creating reports, but actually using it. What factors do you need to drive as a leader in an organization to enable this change? Ah, yeah, yeah. I think you might have asked me this originally, and I didn't answer the second half of the question. So uh, one I would say is uh, be honest with where you really are as an organization. So I can tend to be the type of person kind of having the problem uh, identification and desire to change mindset where uh, perfect world is where I want to be. I wanted to be there yesterday and like, let's go get it. And I have had to learn to increment quite a bit and to also uh, meet people where they are and celebrate uh, what's next. And so especially in the world of data, I would say some things, and especially as you're starting to get into like machine learning and data science, they can be very nebulous and very abstract. And so somebody can't necessarily see how they're going to implement that into their business unit, but they can see that every Monday they come in and they start to do a report and they don't finish it until Monday evening. And then it takes Tuesday to read it. And then they're not making changes until Wednesday. And so if you can show them that, that could actually be where you're logging in on Monday morning and you're reading the data after you hit refresh, 
now they can start to see what the next step might be, which is, okay, how do I get in, take some of these things and I get an alert? I don't even need to come in and check it. You're going to tell me when it's outside of bounds. So now I can say, where should I be spending my energy this week looking forward? Now, when we start to talk about predictions or, you know, assisted sort of analytics, I can get there a lot faster. And so it's, it's really this um, incremental approach. And in a particular business, what I found is that not everyone is in the same place. So that could be in a business unit. It could be between, um, you know, marketing versus sales. It could be at levels um, and, you know, director versus, you know, somebody who's a little more operational. And so um, that's another thing where you just have to really get to know people. Relationships are everything. Um, and there really isn't a one size fits all. I love that comment of meeting people where they're at, you know, in our work in analytics and AI, we talk a lot about personalization, right? And we want to do personalization through our AI models, particularly in marketing. And sometimes we forget to drink a little bit of our own champagne, right? In terms of being personalized with our approach to enabling data. And as you mentioned, it's not just an one approach for an organization. It can change per business unit, per level. So as an individual, and as you lead your teams, how do you enable your teams particularly to adjust their approach in terms of how they talk to different leaders of the organization at different levels or different business units? Like, How do you get your team as a leader in that mindset of like, hey, we need to make this personalized to meet people where they are today? Yeah, uh, so we recently were doing a team activity around uh, some of our initiatives, mostly driving adoption. And so, um, but also, you know, there's benefits for us in adoption. It means that we can continue to, if people are adopting what we build, it means we can start building other things, right? And so, there, you know, it's not entirely... Um, uh, you know, for them. But so we were building out this roadmap and we said, okay, what are the barriers? What are our challenges? And we wrote them all down. And then we said, okay, this is great, but this is our terminology. If we go and we, you know, say, well, we have two redundant reporting solutions and we need to get rid of one. Most people are going to be like, but I know that reporting system. I don't know anything about this other one. And so why are you taking away something that helps me? Why can't we just leave it like it is? So uh, we did a survey and we sent it out uh, throughout the organization and we sort of said, okay, you tell us what it means to have a data culture. And we, you know, use uh, every single level who kind of interacts with us. Um, we had a sampling who took it. And so they said the same stuff, but they said it in their own words. They said, uh, I don't think I can trust the data because when I go to different systems, I get different numbers. So, you know, obviously it's the same thing we were talking about, but in their terms. And so, you know, I think that one of the things that I try to instill is just listen and ask, and then always sort of check in, keep checking in. So if you understand how they're talking about it and you can communicate it in a way that um, our partners are talking about it, then also as you do efforts like office hours or trainings or things like that, say, hey, is this resonating with where you expected it to be? And does it make sense? And, you know, can you kind of um, speak it back to me? 
Um, the other thing that we work on is finding the early adopters and finding the champions. So if you have a win, right, if you are working with somebody and they just get it, the light bulb turns on and you see that turn on, use that as like your megaphone. My former manager used to talk about a flywheel all the time, right? And so the more, the, as soon as you start spinning it, it just starts spinning faster and faster on its own. And that's really what, you know, we're trying to create. And so it helps because it also, you know, from an interim morale perspective, being able to have those wins is huge. Um, but then it also helps to be able to say, hey, your peer was able to do this thing. And I think that your problem is very similar. Do you want to see, have them show it to you? And then maybe we can talk about doing something, you know, for you. I love that. So one of the things you mentioned, both when you talked about enabling the culture and then making sure you're meeting people with it where they are, is centered a lot around relationships, right? To find the early adopters, like you have to talk to people, get to know them to understand that they are early adopters and build those relationships. And you mentioned how you use just leadership skills in general to work through a lot of problems. Is building relationships one of those skills? And do you have any tips for people? It may sound funny, but I think we're all, now that we've worked in this COVID world, kind of forgot our people skills in terms of how to build quality relationships with people. So do you have any tips for people? And like, how do you develop those key relationships within the business to find those early adopters, to be able to listen to people and to meet them where they're at? Yeah, I would say that Usually, number one, if you go to somebody and you say, you know, what is a problem that you wish you could solve with data or what's a problem with your data or just a challenge, what keeps you up at night? They have a laundry list of things, right, that they can tell you. And that's good in terms of, you know, uh, material and potential ideas. Uh, but I would say that it, leading in a data area, what I have found is that it takes, uh, I lean a lot on authenticity and empathy. Uh, and I also have to set aside the fact uh, when you are capacity constrained, you can't immediately act on everything. And so sometimes you're sitting with the, your partner, this person that you're trying to build a relationship with, and they're like, this is so hard and I need your help. And you have to say, I, we can't help right now. We have all of these initiatives and we have all these priorities, but I also understand how difficult this is for you. And if you let that get in the way, if you let those constraints get in the way, you won't build the relationship. And when it's time to be able to help, you won't be able to. And so you have to be able to take that hard feedback of there are all of these things that we need to do, these major initiatives, plus these running the engine things, the stuff that just keeps the lights on every day, plus these few things that are broken, and then these projects. And you need to be able to come to the table and you have to see how important they are the same way that your business partner, you're building the relationship, sees how important they are, while also knowing that you've got two people and one of them is going to be out for the next three months, you know? And it's like, how are you going to, you know, handle that while maintaining the relationship? And so I think it's just you know, being a human and being honest and, you know, hopefully they can see where you're at. Um, and then also, you know, when it's time to deliver and when those things come up for them, um, being as transparent as possible as to when that is, and then making sure that, you know, you deliver, um, advocating for them when you're doing your hiring and your planning um, is certainly important. Um, and, uh, you know, regular touch bases as well. So empathy and authenticity sound like a core value to you personally, and also one of your key leadership traits. As a leader, 
And more particularly, as someone who's working in analytics, we tend to like to have things that are concrete, that are measurable, and sometimes values like empathy and authenticity are hard to measure. So if you're an individual who's like, okay, yes, I want to be more empathetic and I want to make sure that I am putting my authentic self out there. But like, how do I know that I'm actually doing that? Like, what are the, we'll use the meme reference, like green flags, red flags of like, okay, I am leading with authenticity or I am leading with empathy. Like, are there green flags that you get that reinforce that value for you? Hmm. This is a fantastic question. I would say, I don't know. The, I don't know if this is a great answer. The first thing that hit is that if you feel like, if your ego is like, kind of like, but I feel like I need to defend myself. Like if you're getting the type of feedback where you kind of feel uncomfortable because you're like, man, am I not doing well? Because you're inviting that open and that honest of feedback, then you're probably on the right path, right? Because if people are really comfortable telling you what you need to do better, it doesn't always feel, and especially when you're asking a lot of people, it's coming from a lot of different directions. Sometimes it can be a little overwhelming, um, but it's the right thing to do. So I would say that's probably the biggest one is you have to get a little uncomfortable with the truth. Um, if you are going to have a real conversation and if you're going to be able to move uh, on from there. I think that's great advice because that's an encouraging thing. I mean, we want these things like authenticity and empathy and to know sometimes it's going to be maybe a little bit painful, but that's leading us in the right direction. So embrace that feedback and that uncomfortableness so that we can move forward through it. I think that's fantastic. Are there any other... you? mentioned a lot in terms of leading technically through your leadership. Are there other traits besides authenticity and empathy that you found really valuable? Just general leadership traits that you're like, wow, this has really been valuable for me in terms of solving analytic problems or solving analytics challenges and taking it back to your first comment. Like you don't need the actual leadership title of VP or senior director to be a leader. So are there those traits that you're like, oh, if I could enable like every data practitioner to have these leadership traits, like I found them useful and they've taken me to the next level, like what would some of those traits be? Hmm. I would say um, the being able to put together a framework to prioritize is really important. And so I would say maybe this is not just in data, but I see it a lot, especially if you're leading, I've been in like enterprise for a while where everybody, you know, I I, kind of the whole business of support underneath me, uh, which is not always the case, but I would say that uh, you're always at a trade-off, you know, conversation. And what you don't want, you won't move effectively if it's one person who always makes that decision, if it's the VP, if it's the director. Uh, so learning how to make that decision on your own, and you might get it wrong, right? It might be like, hey, I think this thing's going to be a higher priority than this other thing. And then it's, you know, there's more information that you didn't have. But I think it's really important that everyone can uh, make that distinction and that you are practicing that um, because it helps you move really quickly. Um, and you can always adjust if you need to. 
Um, I would say the other one would be, this kind of goes with uh, vulnerability, but I would say just asking questions, uh, asking questions that you think are dumb, asking questions you're afraid to ask. Um, I think that knowing your organization's perspective is important. So you have to obviously be able to look within your organization, but also, you know, outside of it. But if you're moving into leadership and you're not the most technical person and you just go look at the Gartner quadrant and you're like that, that's the thing that we need. And you don't listen to your team and, and what they actually, you know, need and care about, then you're going to drive them towards what might be like innovative and it might seem like it's change and it might seem it's like what everybody's doing, but it might not be what's right for you. And so you really have to l- listen to your team and say, hey, why do we use this stack? What do you wish we used? Uh, what are you hearing about that your peers are using that you don't think belongs here and why, right? And so it's really about, I guess, maybe a 360 look on um, how you make your decisions and um, set your roadmaps, taking your teams. Um, your team is your is your panel of assets. They are your experts. And so they should be able to really help inform um, those directions as well. So in terms of frameworks to prioritize, are there is there a standardized framework out there that you use? Do you have a Jolie-specific method that you use that you recommend? Or what what's kind of a good resource for people there? Uh, so at my, I guess where I sort of started the discipline and prioritization, uh, what we were using a WizGIF uh, method. So way to short this job first, but we were just sort of using like planning poker, Fibonacci. Um, and now we're moving a little bit more towards, uh, Moscow method, but what I would say, and, and I would say neither of them were pure. And that's probably number one. If you feel like you can go online and find a prioritization method and it works perfectly for you, cool, go ahead and go at it. Most people in the analytics space are fairly analytical, so they want to know all the details. And so modify it until it gets to be something you can do quickly, because that's the whole point is what can we go through quickly? This is not about sizing or giving a time frame. It's not about saying, hey, we got your request yesterday. We talked about it for 20 minutes and now it's going to take us six months and we're going to start it on this date. That's not what it's for. It's really just that high level. Where do I slot this on the list? So the main things that we look at that I do think are important is what is the value to the business? And that could be in terms of revenue. It could be in terms of associate experience. It could be in terms of satisfaction. And then uh, it could be in terms of risk avoided. And then comparing that to the size. So this is kind of agile 101. Um, however, I am very, I would say most people aren't always looking at this when they do the prioritization that they're doing. Um, and so if you can get into that and keep it as lightweight as possible, I think it, it helps to create a sort of objective first step of like, here's where I think it should be, which then helps you to have the conversations that you need to have to say, what's wrong? Like, tell me about where this is. This seems a little lower than where you would have thought that it should be. So what is it about this that I don't understand? And knowing uh, as a data person, what you don't understand is important because when it comes into you, people may not tell you all of the things that it's actually doing. So by being able to kind of give the output of like, we think these other things are more important, they can say, oh, but I didn't tell you, I need this data for this. And now you can get closer to what you were actually uh, the bigger opportunity of what's there um, versus what you thought it was. And that just goes back to reinforcing your second point, which is asking questions, right? So even yep. after you have this framework and prioritization tool, making sure you're following up and asking those right questions to truly get to the understanding of what is that priority. So fantastic tips. Um, 
In terms of looking forward a little bit, what excites you the most about the changes you're creating at Carhartt and just really the future of analytics and AI in general? Like what makes you wake up every morning and get excited and be like, yes, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is the change I want to create. And this is my vision of the future. Oh, I mean, Anytime someone's eyes open up to something that can be done uh, in the data space, um, you know, I think that we have had a backlog that was not representative of all of our capabilities for a very long time, which means that people just think of us as the dashboard team, when in reality, we've got eight things we can do and there's only one. And so now we're starting to see that shift. And so when you start to say, okay, you are getting requests for um, analytics, requests for you know machine learning thing. Now it begins to it begins to be exciting because you can start to see that that impact that you're having. So uh, we're uh, doing some really cool stuff in um, the world of just who our consumers are and understanding better and supporting our marketing team, supporting our ecom team, um, supporting our product team um, by understanding how people like our products. Um, and so it's like we've sort of uh, made the tip where we have the data and now we're actually using it um, the way that we wanted to uh, for a long time. So that's what excites me. Um, there's going to be a lot more. We're kind of scratching the surface in some areas, but uh, it's very exciting. Well, congratulations for getting to this point. And it sounds like the future is very bright for yourself and the full team at Carhartt. Um, hopefully you're doing some hiring because I'm sure lots of listeners would love yes. to come and join the team. So we are doing a lot of hiring. Please check it out. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, if you're ready, we can jump into the rapid fire questions. Sure. All right. What song do you currently have on repeat? Uh, it's kind of obscure. So there's going to be a music festival um, by I have some land up north Michigan. And there's a band there. So I've been listening uh, to see so I can get to know them called Oh Brother Big Sister. And they do some really cool covers. They're like super funky. So uh, they have a cover of No Diggity. And it's fantastic. Ooh, I love that song. I'll go check it out. So yeah. thank you. <laughs> Favorite place you've traveled? I got to go with Paris. Happiness is? disconnecting and uh, experiencing something that is simple, uh, fully, just being fully present. In the next five years, I hope to. I hope there's a lot I hope to do. There's a very long list. So uh, sort of the antithesis of that. So I hope to radically refine. So to do the things I need to do, I'm going to have to like purge and say no to a lot of the stuff that isn't going to allow that to happen or else it'll never be possible. So I want to get a lot better at that. To me, curiosity is? Curiosity to me is openness and it is constantly trying new things, even though you might not like them or be good at them, uh, just to see if maybe you will like it or be good at it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Data Bytes podcast. It's a beautiful way to wrap this up. And thank you for your leadership. I am just so blown away with everything you've been able to accomplish. And your the way you lead with compassion and empathy is truly inspiring. So thank you for coming on and sharing your insights with us today. 
Thank you so, so much for having me. It was fantastic to be here. And thank you always to our listeners for tuning in and continuing to stay curious and keep learning. And we will catch you next time. Have a great day, everybody. If you're looking for more resources to further your data career or find your tribe, we encourage you to become a member at womenindata.org. See you on the other side.